This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right. I think it's time to have our opening prayer. Let's all stand, please. Gracious Father in heaven, as we go into the subject of paying the price, we pray that you will help us to understand that when we do pay the price, we get far more than we could ever pay for. So give us wisdom, and may it be a blessing to all of us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this great inspiration of faith and the reality of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to start, and I forgot to hook up my um, changer here, so my pardon. Okay, we'll see. Yes, good. Okay, we I, we left. We didn't have quite enough time to finish what we did uh, around noon. So I pulled three slides over from the pro, uh, presentation. We wanted to share those with you. So and then we're going to switch into paying the price here. This is Mueller continued, and he's still talking about um, the characteristics of faith. No impressions are to be taken in connection with faith. I, I cannot tell you, that is a delusion. I talked about that earlier, that is everywhere, uh, anywhere you go. Notice what Mueller says. He says, impressions have neither one thing or the other to do with faith. Faith has to do with the Word of God. It is not impressions, strong or weak. I have found my own self being tempted that way. So, well, you know, I'm impressed that this is the way to go. But... Uh, impressions are not the issue. It's faith that is the issue. Faith based on God's Word. And we have the blessing of that modern gift of inspiration as well. And um, so he goes on to say probabilities are not to be taken into account. Many people are willing to believe regarding the, those things that seem probable to them. So they think, well, you know, there's a good chance of doing it, so I think I have faith. And he's saying that has nothing to do with faith. It's not how probable it is that it'll work. He goes on to say faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The province of faith begins where probabilities cease and sight and sense fail. So he says faith sees beyond what you can see. Faith sees beyond 2 plus 2. I know that equals 4. But I couldn't tell you some of the most complicated algebra or calculus kinds of things. But even when those things fail, and they can't go beyond that, faith goes beyond those things. It sees what, what cannot be seen. Okay, let's go ahead uh, here. He talks about people writing to him. A great many of God's children are cast down and lament their want of faith. They write to me and say that they have no impressions, no feelings. They see no probability that the thing they wish will come to pass. Then he says this, appearances are not to be taken into account. The question is whether God has spoken in his word. That may be one of the more important pieces of information, understandings of faith that uh, we've shared here. Miller on growing faith. I really like this, and I'm just going to read the highlighted part. 
At first, he says, I was able to trust the Lord for $10, then $100, then $1,000, and now with the greatest of ease, I could trust him for a million dollars if there was an occasion. Isn't that powerful? So this is why it's so important to nurture your faith. Uh, let me tell you one of those little things that nurtured my faith. I was in college in those days. That's a long time ago, so that's going to date me. That's okay. You can look at me until I'm dated. But uh, at any rate, um, my mother, my dear, sweet, wonderful mother, and I sure had a good, had two wonderful parents. But my mother would send me $2 a week in order to make sure that, you know, you had the toothpaste or whatever. And so you could spend that $2 pretty quick. And so this is, I had a friend uh, and several friends, and my, they wanted to do a birthday thing for my friend. And they came to me and they said, look, all of us are putting in a quarter to do this. And I said, okay, but I didn't have a quarter. I remember walking back across the street. In those days, there was an eating place there across, not from the whole college. Maybe it's still there. Campus Kitchen, I think they called it. I remember walking across the street and walking across that big area there. There's no buildings. And just praying and thinking, saying, Lord, I, I could use a quarter. I don't have a quarter, but I need a quarter. I, it's nothing big, Lord, but it's just my friend, and it's really not even important. And I just kept praying that. I walked into the dorm, sat down, and all of a sudden it hit me. Look in the couch. Pull the couch back, and there was a quarter. Now, some people will say that's just incident, but that's that little stuff that will grow your faith. And that's what Mueller is saying. $10 to a million dollars to whatever. That's what he's saying. Okay. Now, the opportunity of faith. Christ has shown what humanity can do. This is very powerful. Can be do by being a partaker of the divine nature. And we do that by faith. All that Christ received from God. I, I cannot put my mind around this. But it's there. All that Christ received from God, we too may have. Then ask and what? Receive. By the way, if you go back to the text where she gets this from, it's asking. In other words, to continue to ask. With the persevering faith of Jacob... The unyielding persistence of Elijah, claim for yourself all that God has promised. I want to tell you, I hope you will do this. I hope that you will grow. I'm, every day I'm growing in this. I love watching God work in my life. I love having him answer prayer. And it will grow your faith like nothing else. All right, paying the price. We're going to go to part four here. And we are looking at Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Uh, this is a parable you know, so it's about the pearl of great price, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells. How much did he sell? Now, that's quite a thing, isn't it? He's putting all of his eggs in one basket. I want to tell you that putting all your eggs in the basket of faith is very reasonable. Because faith 
unlocks heaven's storehouse. Unlocks it. And uh, so God is able to do incredible, and he loves to do it. He loves to do things in our life. Joys it. All right. So uh, then it doubled down on this. And it says in the last part, and he went and sold all he had, and he bought it. Got it. So it's worth selling everything that we have in this world, so to speak. So there's two quick key questions, and these are really important questions. What is it that you want? You need to ask yourself that question. In my heart of hearts, at the end of the day, when it's all added and subtracted, what is it that I want? And then the next question you ask yourself, how badly do you want it? Okay? And faith can answer those questions for you. All right. God also paid a price. Did he not? So I want to point out this. This is uh, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, page 494, he points his hearers to the sacrifice he made for the fallen race. He declares that an infinite price has been paid for man's redemption. I tell people, I said, look, if you were to go to the treasure house of heaven and you were to open God's treasure house, you're going to find it's empty. I know that sounds opposite of what I just said. But when, Je when he gave Jesus to us, he gave us all heaven had. But when we have Jesus, we have all the treasures of heaven. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. When you have Jesus, you get all the treasures. That's because God did that for all of us. Now, this is Desire of Ages 6, 6, 8. Oh, I want to say this. I've got to get a commercial in here. Can I get a commercial in here? It's a good commercial. It's not the kind of commercial you think. If you, if you really want to make a difference in your life as a young person, now, read all of Ellen White's stuff. Do that. I love Great Controversy. I love all, all of them. That the whole Conflict of the Ages series. But read Desire of Ages. And don't just read it once. Read it all through your life. This Jesus, he's marvelous. Yeah. He knows how to handle friends when they mess up. He knows how to handle enemies. His methodology is incredible. It is amazing. Outside of Scripture, it's the best book I have in my library. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we are so blessed. There's nobody else that has the insight on the life of Jesus like we have. Mm. So I just want to plead with you. Take that book and just devour it and devour it again and just keep eating it all the way through your life. That's my commercial. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Um, I, and I love this. Um, the Lord is disappointed when his people place a lower estimate upon themselves. Then I'm slipping down here. God wanted them. That's you and me. Else he would not have sent his son on such an expensive errand to redeem them. Let me ask you a question. And you, don't raise your hand. I think I know the answer anyway. Because I'm a fellow traveler. Have you ever just beat up on yourself? You know, I do, something that was, I, I do something that's, you know, what did I do that for? What was I thinking? You ever have that kind of thing? Don't look at my gray hair and say he, he couldn't do that. He's got too much experience. Let me tell you, you know, I'm, I'm really just a young guy compared to Adam. You know, Adam was 
almost a thousand years. So. Um, yeah, and, and I can be really tough on myself. And not long ago, I was reading where it displeases the Lord to berate yourself. It's, it's okay to say, yeah, I could do better. I should do better on that. That's not the point. But just to come down on yourself. Jesus doesn't like it because he paid an infinite price for you. All right. Um, he has use for them. You put your name in there. He has a use for you. There's not one of you in this room he doesn't have a use for. You may say, well, I'm not the whatever. Forget that kind of stuff. I used to tell my, I used to tell my uh, uh, administrative assistant, my secretary, Jean Dickerson. One, I had a wonderful secretary. She retired before I did. But, um, in fact, I told the whole conference staff this one time. I said, we don't get this. You know, we look at position and place and all that kind of stuff. But I said, you know, in the new earth, I might be working for Gene. And we need to be humble. It's not about position and place. And I like something he said. He, he doesn't know I'm going to do this. But we were having a long, one of our long talks. And, and you said, you know, we're not looking for position, but we're looking for mission. Isn't that great? I haven't forgot it. We're not looking for position. We're looking for a mission. And as long as Jesus is assigning the mission, you can't get better than that. Can't get better than that. All right. So, uh, and listen, he is well pleased, not just a little bit pleased, when they make the very highest demands upon him. Woo. Do you, do you, do you want to love like the Lord loves? Yeah. Do you want to walk before him and be perfect? I'm not talking about perfectionism. I don't even have time to get into that subject. People beat that around. They ought to go read Matthew chapter 7, the last few verses, and then they will get a good definition of perfection. I know you want me to tell you what it is, so I'm going to. Here it comes. You get ready for this. And then go home and read it. Matthew chapter 7, the last few verses. I think that's the one. Anyway, it goes like this. Where Jesus said that um, you've heard it said that, you know, that you love your friends and hate your enemies. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And then he goes on to say, he says, I say to you, love your enemies. And then he goes on to say, because your heavenly father makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. That means the Lord makes the rain fall on really bad people. He makes the sun shine on really bad people as well as really good people. So why does he do that? Because he's kind. And he's good. And then Jesus sums it up by telling us, to be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection is to love like your heavenly Father loves. And the other stuff will fall into place. Amen. Okay, that was, a, that was a side trip. But let's get back to this. All right. 
uh, the assurance of success, Christ's object lessons again, when we give ourselves wholly to God and our work and in our work, follow his directions. Whoa. Have you ever tried to do your own directions? I've run ahead of God. I was telling somebody not long ago, we were talking about some project that we wanted to do and they urged me to do it. I said, no, I'm not doing that yet. I said, I've had too many times in my life when I've run a good project, but I run ahead of God. Maybe been fine, but I don't run ahead of God. I'm not, I'm at this age. I hope I've learned don't run ahead of the Lord. If you want to do something, take it to him in prayer. And when he opens the circumstances and he opens the, the doors and he makes it clear, his timing is impeccable. Mm -hmm. Now notice this, when you follow his directions, he makes himself responsible for its accomplishment. How do you like that? Yeah. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. Why? Because. Because he's, he's guaranteed he'll be responsible for the outcome. So I've held evangelistic meetings where I had almost zero. Yeah, I had one or two at least where I've had zero baptisms. That's not my preference. But if I was surrendered to the will of God, God will take care of the zero. I just won't know about it till I get to the kingdom of heaven. There's sometimes God likes to keep us humble. Yeah. There's other times he gives you lots. But you don't know. You just, you do your work and then God takes care of being successful. We want to be successful in his eyes. Not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with the one who knows no failure. Can the Lord Jesus save you? Jesus says another place. Don't go worrying about whether you're going to be saved or not. Just surrender yourself to the Lord and you're going to have a lot of assurance that you will be. I'll, I'll give you that a little later here. I think it's still in here. Okay, we've got to talk about paying the price here. What is the price? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is a question they gave to Jesus, so to speak. What is the price we are required to pay in order to obtain the life to come? Here's the price. And uh, this, is desire, uh, this is Desire of Ages 385, 391. The price of heaven, I love this, the price of heaven is Jesus. Now I'm going to say something else. There's another little side trip, but it all, all goes uh, together here. You or nor I will ever be saved by theory. Now is the truth important? Everybody should have said amen. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. But the truth alone cannot save you. And as much as we need the church, we may not be able to be saved without the church. The church cannot save us. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the early church understood that. That's why they set the world on fire. The price of heaven is Jesus. Uh, and... Uh, they were called to be self-sacrificing, his disciples, self-sacrificing, meek and lowly in heart. They didn't start out that way, though, did they? I mean, those 12 guys, they were, they were arguing among themselves right up to the Last Supper. It was only Calvary that cured them and the upper room that cured them and the foot washing that cured them 
of this problem that we have. But people, listen, they, they must walk the narrow path. Everybody likes a broad path traveled by the son, of, the man of Calvary, if they would share in the gift of life and the glory of heaven. Let me tell you what that narrow path is. It's the path of unselfish love. I didn't use the word love alone because it's so messed up in the English language. You have to define it. God at his very core is unselfish. And you and I, if we want to live in heaven, we have to be born again into an unselfish love. So that unself, that's the way we live. That's why you can be humble because you're not living for yourself. That's why Jesus said you've got to lose your life in order to find your life. But for some people, the test was too great. All right. The price is in the if. If you have given yourself to Christ, you're a member of the family of God. And everything in the Father's house is for you. All the treasures of God are open to you, both the world that now is and that which is to come. I don't know how more powerful that promise can be, but it's all circled on this one little word. If. So if you're going to pay the price, it means that you give your life, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord Jesus. Surrender it to him. I was talking some years ago to somebody in Michigan, and I was explaining this subject to a person that had a lot of influence, a lot of young adults. And we talked quite a bit about it. And he went and he talked to some of his young adult friends. He came back to me later and we talked. And he says, you know, they were just too afraid to let Jesus be in complete control of their life. That's where the rubber meets the road. Are we willing to let Jesus call the shots in our life? To make the choices. Every day, that's the test. Oh, I should have skipped too fast here. Listen to what you get. The ministry of angels, the gift of his spirit, the labors of his servants are all for you. The world and everything in it is yours so far as it can do you good. Even the enmity of the wicked will prove to be a blessing by discipling you, Discipline. disciplining you for heaven. If you are Christ, all things are yours. In other words, not even the people that hate you can do you harm in the end. For God will just take it and turn it into helping you be ready for heaven. Amen. How about that? Yeah. I mean... Even the devil's out of business. Now, rash presumption. We promised to talk about presumption. So I want to get uh, Pastor Ratsar to come over here because he's had some good experience in this, understands this issue. So, Pastor Ratsar, why don't you pick it up here? Okay. Um, presumption and faith. You know, many times people would say, oh, don't do that. It's presumption. Oh, do this. So what is the difference between faith and presumption? Let's read this first. The promises of God, um, the promises of God are not for us to claim rashly, to protect us while we rush on recklessly into danger, violating the laws of nature, war, disregarding prudence and the judgment God has given us to use. This would not be genuine faith, but presumption. The thrones and kingdoms of the world and the glory of them were presented to Christ. Never will we have temptations as strong 
as those that assailed us. Okay, let me just summarize this uh, word presumption and faith. I've been uh, studying this, actually wrestle, because I don't want to fall into presumption, and I don't want uh, to be timid in faith, because God asks us to be strong in faith, so how can you be strong in faith at the same time you don't fall into presumption? That is the idea. You remember uh, when we decided to hire this big hall of uh, 16,000 people and we were just small, it was like presumption. But it was not. It was not because uh, we followed the principle of faith. The principle of faith is that it has to do with your relationship with the Lord first. It is not the acts. It is not the size of your request that make it presumption or faith. It is what is behind the request. For example, when Joshua asked the son, S-U-N, to stop, is that a small request? It's a big request. He said, okay, let's stop this, the son. That means alter the system for a moment. When, when you talk about big request, that is a huge request. But it was not presumption. Why? Because when you go to the spirit of prophecy, it explained that Joshua spent a lot of time before doing that with the Lord. He spends a lot of time. That means the key not to fall into presumption is you need to know the mind of God. God needs to tell you what to ask. And that is in the book of Romans. This, the Holy Spirit will tell you, ask this. Then, no matter how big the size of the request is, it is not presumption. But if the Holy Spirit, if God does not ask you to do it, even if it is small, even if it is something common, it becomes presumption. I just read this uh, Acts chapter 19. You know the story of the, the Acts chapter, uh, uh, chapter 19. You, write, you see right there, verse 11 to verse 20, we have two Two examples. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirit went out of them. So here, something great happened. And then, verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, so same thing, uh, casting evil spirit, right? Paul and these Jewish itinerant uh, uh, people. And then he said here, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what happened? All there were seven sons of Sikhiva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? 
Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So, Paul cast out demons, evil spirit. It was not presumption. But these ones did the same thing. It was presumption. What is the difference? Paul, I know. Uh, and Jesus, I know. But who are you? So there was no relationship. So the relationship is the key. Spending time. And this is the price to pay. You see, sometimes work is easier than real prayer. That's why people prefer working than praying. Real prayer. Leland G. White talks about agonizing prayer, agonizing faith. That is the price to pay. If you want to have great faith, if you want not to fall into presumption, spend time with the Lord. Amen. With the word of God. With the spirit of prophecy. And listen to the voice of God. And once you are, you know what God wants you to do, even if it is hard, if it is a little bit strange, obey. Because if you rationalize, you say, no, 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 this is strange, it will be strange, I will not do that. Then that voice you will not hear gradually anymore. If you keep on ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit, then that voice. Let me tell you just for one minute what happened to, to me for when I was like 13 or 14 years. Before you do that, go to the next slide because that kind of um, sums up what you were doing there, particularly the okay. highlighting. Let's, let's read this. But faith is in no sense allied to presumption. Only he who has true faith is secure against presumption. For presumption is Satan's counterfeit of faith. Faith claims God's promises and brings forth fruit in obedience. You see, the obedience is key here. Underline that. Yeah, obedience. Presumption also claims the promises, but uses them as Satan did to excuse transgression. You see the difference? Faith obey. Obeys makes you obey God. But presumption is to rationalize or justify sin or transgression. Faith would have led our first parents to trust the love of God and to obey his commands. Presumption led then to transgress his law, believing that his great love would have them from the consequences of their sin. And here, it is not faith that claims the favor of heaven without complying with the conditions on which mercy is to be granted. Genuine faith has its foundation in the promises and pro provisions of the scripture. So this is, uh, I think it is self-explanatory. Agonizing prayer, this is what we talked about. The greatest victories gained for the cause of God are not the result of labored argument, ample facilities, white influence, and, or abundance of means. They are gained in the audience chamber with God. When we've earnest agonizing faith, men lay hold upon the mighty arm of power. So in summary, our time is uh, moving fast. In summary, presumption, 
is a counterfeit. And we have to be careful because it can be presumption. We say, okay, let's have a great faith and then uh, we attempt something great for God. But we are not in good terms with the Lord. We kind of, we create those things. We have not received the command from the Lord to do that. Can you imagine if Joshua just decided, he said, okay, since we need more time, let's just ask God to stop the sun to, for a while. And God did not even uh, allow him to do that. He will be totally embarrassed. He said, the sun will just continue well. We know that it is. Uh, the system there. But God, listen. I would like you to read that story in the book of Spirit of Prophecy and you see the background of that. Um, so presumption. Don't be afraid of presumption as long as we do two things. One, spend time with the Lord. Be the friend of the Lord. And the Lord will tell you what to ask and what not to ask. Secondly, have the obedient spirit. Just obey. You cannot, you cannot say, well, I will have great faith when we are disobedient. And there, uh, let's have also clear conscience. If we, we don't surrender our lives to the Lord, there is a statement of the spirit of prophecy on that. We, can, we will have what we call a shipwreck. Uh, faith, if our conscience. No, the spending time with the Lord, having a genuine relationship with the Lord, pay the price of, and uh, you need to sweat, agonizing, you see, agonizing faith, agonizing prayer. You see, agonizing, what uh, Jesus Christ agonized. Uh, that is the spirit here. And that's why we don't have strong faith these days. We don't agonize. We are quite of, uh, be contented with superficial. But we need to reach that level. This is what we need now. Okay. Amen. Amen. So the, <clears throat> I hope that helped with what, all the... What happened to... I started something on the 13th, yeah. listening to the voice of God. We were transferred, actually, my parents, uh, they were farmers, so they were transferred. Uh, there was a kind of a arrangement of the farmers with, during that time, so we were moved to another place next to the big factory of rice. And uh, that worked day and night and loud. So when I was like 13 and 14, the first night... I could not sleep. And I didn't know at that age you really want to sleep. <laughs> you are a teenager, we need a lot of sleep. But I could, it was hard. Then the second night, I found sleep around maybe four o'clock because of the noise. He said, How can I survive here? But I tell you, about a week, I did not hear a thing. Did they stop the factory? No. I was used to it. It's the same thing with the voice of God. If you keep on ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit, not obeying, you will not hear. The voice is still there, but you will not hear. 
And the same thing, if, if I speak here, if you are next to me, you will hear. But if you keep on going, like 100 yards from here, even if I continue to talk, you will not hear. And the same thing, if you are far from the Lord, even the Lord will talk, you will not hear. Or ignoring the voice. So learn how to listen to the voice of God and obey no matter what. That is the price to pay. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, I've got to say something about faith here really quick, too. Yeah. We, do, we believe in a faith that always never fails to give birth to obedience. Righteousness by faith is not standing alone in some theory. People have spent all this time on the theory when it's really very simple. If you put your faith in Christ, it will translate into loving obedience. It has to, or it's not genuine faith. It's not true faith. All right, uh, let's go on here just a little bit because he's got another story I want you to hear here. <clears throat> and uh, I'm paying the price. Uh, the other price is constant communion. Not just those times where we have real earnest time with God. By the way, you want to know agonizing prayer, read uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, what did I do? I went too fast there, I think. Yeah, so the price of constant communion. I'll give you a, just a little bit uh, for sake of time. Thou will keep him in perfect peace who's what? Mind is swear. That's the key word right there. Stayed on you. That's Isaiah 26.3. I want to tell you, start practicing this. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, connect, commune with God. You know, maybe working in a factory. You know, well, Lord, help me get these boxes. Help me to be a blessing to my coworkers. Father in heaven, I know somebody's having a, a trouble. You're just constant. Constant. What did I say? That is the secret of success and faith. Um, here he goes on down here. For he dwells with you and will be where? Doesn't that sound like constant to you? Yeah. I will not leave you orphans. I'll not leave you alone. By the way. Remember a conversation we had many years ago and stuff was swirling around us and, and you gave me something I've never forgotten. Definitely. And you told me that we are not alone. Right. <laughs> I preached last Sabbath. I think it was last Sabbath. No, yes. I preached uh, uh, just before Christmas. Yeah. I preached on Emmanuel, and I pounded that in. We are not alone. But this is something about Jesus we have to understand. He doesn't force himself on us. Remember the disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus? And Jesus says, okay, they're going to turn in for supper. He says, I'll see you. Goodbye. But the Bible says they urged him, not just a little bit. Um, it, here's another one. Uh, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. I love this word manifest myself to him. Um, this sounds like whatever, but I, 
I'm telling you, when you walk with Jesus, Jesus will manifest himself to you. I was out using my mower to mulch leaves and take care of some stuff. And I don't know what I did just the other week. But suddenly I had that mower straddled a ditch. And, one, and the power wheel is just turning one of them. I'm not going anywhere. So I climbed off the tractor and turned around. And all of a sudden there was somebody in my driveway. The guy got out of his truck and he said, could you use a hand? I says, well, you know, I can get my wife's Jeep and probably pull out. I said, but since you're here, that'd be great. He said, yeah, I help people out all the time. Pulled out his rope, threw around my thing. I got back on it, pulled me out. And I thanked him graciously, told me kind of where he lives. I'm going to go look him up here. And I got thinking about that. So I've been walking with Jesus that day. I'm not better than anybody. I have the same struggles all of you have. Don't look at your ministers and say, oh, they're ministers. No, don't forget that. Just forget that. In fact, sometimes I think it might be worse for them. But Jesus manifested himself to me in that moment. I, I, don't, I, I still can't believe I got off the tractor and turned around. That guy was there. You know, the Lord can orchestrate your life if you let him. He's good at it. He's really good at it. And he'll manifest himself to you. Um, here, here's another one. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Don't ever forget this part. And my father will love him. And we will come and not just visit. We'll make our home with you. I want my life. I want my heart. I want this body to be the home. Of my heavenly father and the Lord Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. Amen. All right. Um, daily seeking the Lord's means of constant prayer. I'm coming down here for time. If we are determined not to be separated. Does that remind you of the road to Emmaus? We're determined not to be separated from the source of our strength. Jesus will be just as determined to be at our right hand to help us. That's connecting by faith. Here's, the, here's this one. This is so powerful. Only a life of constant dependence upon the Savior is a life of holiness. That's the key. Constant dependence. Don't let Jesus out of your sight. All right, now this is Jesus' strong warning in Luke 21, 34 to 36, and many times it's overlooked. But take heed to yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, iPhones. No, it didn't say that, did it? And the cares of this life, and that day come on you how? Why do, what, what do these things do if we're not careful? They separate us. For it will come as a snare to all who are on the face of the whole earth. Now, I think that prophecy is being fulfilled right now. The devil has people so preoccupied, so busy, they, they don't have time. I've got neighbors around me, and we're praying for them. And I believe I'll show you another statement here in a minute. 
and I and I can tell you some uh, some great stories, but but we've got to break the chain that Satan has around the necks of people by this earnest, fervent praying and faith, believing that God's going to actually do it. You can't just pray. You've got to believe that God's going to do it without doubt. He's going to give you opportunity. I, maybe I should, this is not being recorded, so I'll tell this real quick. My, my sweet wife, we had some neighbors, we moved in where we were, and, uh, and the Roman Catholic, Irish Roman Catholic, they grew up that way. You know, it's good to be with people to understand what their, their journey is different. It's different from my journey. And they were just nice, polite, but held us at arm's length. They knew we were Adventist ministers. And, uh, and, and we always tried to do everything we could be nice and that kind of thing. And they were nice. But my, my, my wife said, I am going to find a way to let them know that we love them. And she was praying about it. And pretty soon, you know, the Lord just, the door started opening. And they love my wife. And... Uh, they think the world sets, rises and sets in her. The sun rises and sets in her. And, it, and we, got, we got very close. And the two sisters, one sister a year ago passed away. And we're very careful because I'm not here. They're always... In fact, one of them is saying, not one of them, but one of them is saying, well, you know. In fact, one time she said to me, before we got really able to get connected, she said, oh, so what are Seventh-day Adventists like? Are they like those Baptists? And I looked at her and said, yeah. I knew what she was thinking. And uh, it came to my wife not long ago. Somebody had been out doing evangelism, and we should do that. And she says, was that your church out there doing that? We had to tell her, no, not that, not that time at least. But when the sister passed away, they wanted us to come over. It's a very tender moment. Sister just passed away. Family is gathered there. And they asked me, a Seventh-day Adventist minister, to pray. So I put them all in a circle. We held hands. And I prayed. And I asked the Lord to give me wisdom to what to say. And I said, Lord, I am so grateful that we can put our dear loved one into your hands. Is that good theology? You should say yes. Isn't that true? That's what we do. I was really honored to do that. And they haven't forgotten that. And um, so, anyway, it's, it's an ongoing story. And I, and I just have faith that God is going to do something wonderful. What he's going to do, I'm not telling you what I'm praying. But, um, but you cannot. The barriers are so high. You have to wait on God to open doors. You cannot force those doors open. 
Besides, that's not Jesus' way anyway. The Holy Spirit is at work. He's mighty. But we've got to be available, and our hearts have got to be right, and then God will help us. He will help us. He'll open doors. All right. Um, so watch, therefore, and pray how, how often? Always. That you may be counted worthy to escape these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So this constant watching, don't have that. But I want to, this, this thing about paying the price, Paul, you got a story. you got to tell that story. Okay. About what it cost you with mother. You see, we really need this faith because we've studied that uh, uh, all the failure or lack of success that happened is caused by lack of faith. So if you have faith, God can really use us and to preach the gospel. So that's why we have this seminar. And we need to exercise faith and ask for faith. Uh, I told you this morning, for those of you who were here this morning, that I was not born into this uh, faith, Adventist faith. I was pagan, worshiping uh, the spirit of ancestors in darkness. But uh, by the grace of God, God just removed me from that, uh, that place and gave me the light. And um, studied, going back to school. And when I reached my, my cousin, I found the entire Bible. Remember, for those of you who are here. And I started to read that Bible from the beginning till the end. And I was looking for the true church. So I was looking for the true, for true God, and God has shown me true God. Now, I was looking for the true church. And I looked around, looked around, and I uh, saw, well, the church I knew is the Protestant and the Catholic. And they said, okay, let me be Protestant. So I went into the Protestant church. And um, I, um, with the zeal, pretty soon I became the Sunday school superintendent. And then I received the call to be a minister. And I decided not to be trained to be a minister of the Presbyterian pastor. So there was, a, there was already a, uh, there's a process to be accepted. And I was in the process of uh, uh, being accepted, when getting ready to be accepted. Then one day, I went out of the church, our church. I heard a voice. And the voice it is almost like audible to say that. Since you decide to spend all your entire life to preach the word of God, be sure you preach the truth. And I, I looked, I said, who, who is talking? No one. But I got the message that now I should, I should stop this process and I need to look for the truth. And for six months... I studied the Bible and the spirit of, uh, not the spirit of prophecy yet, the Bible searching for truth, the true church. And after six months, three, three hours per day studying, 
And then the same strong voice and impression said, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the true church. And, but I've never met one. I've never seen an Adventist church, but I know of the Adventist church. Listen to them, to cut the long story short, I was looking for the Adventist church. And now I wanted to be, uh, instead of going to the Protestant seminary, go to the Adventist school to prepare to become a pastor. But uh, I know that my mother would be so heartbroken because he really wanted me to be someone uh, with the potential that I had. Uh, to God be the glory. There was this. That's why I was poisoned. I told you the story. Uh, the potential said, oh, you will become a great man in the future. So for him, for, for her, for me to decide to be a pastor, that will be a great disappointment. So I, I didn't have the heart to, to go through that. I, my faith was still very weak, even though I was kind of uh, decided to follow. Then I ignored, I ignored that uh, call. Say so I went into to the school that lead, led into... Uh, to become engineer. There's nothing wrong to become engineer. But when I went there, I, I could not concentrate. And finally, I decided, I talked to the, the president of the school, you know, I can't really stay here. What? That was a school that was very difficult to go into it because uh, once you are there, the government will take care of you and uh, you are in for a great future. So you couldn't understand what is this decision. But now I have to face my mother. I have to tell her that now I will become a pastor. Because I went there just to satisfy her. But I couldn't. But finally I decided I want to go home. Going home, now I have to tell them that after all, I'm not going to become an engineer. I'm not going to become that great personality in the nation, but I want to serve God. I want to be a pastor. But how to say that? I remember when we approached our village, I was there. How to share this? But I have to go. My legs were heavy. But finally, I reached home. And they said, why are you here? Then I had to tell them what has happened. It was a problem. Not only for the immediate family, but the extended family as well. They tried to do everything to, just to convince me that, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. But... I couldn't. The, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I decided to follow the voice of God. Then one day, I had to go, go to the place where I, I'm going to be, to, to be studying to become an Adventist pastor. I packed already, and the family, they were there trying to talk to me not to do it. 
So I was there, and my mother was a strong, strong-willed mother. Um, you, she was totally against this, and she tried to convince me, and I was there standing with my back. And she tried everything, but she realized that I was determined. Then she used the last weapon. She just sat next to the front door. And she said, look, you are my son. I carried you in my womb. I nursed you. I did everything. Now you are big. You don't want to listen to me anymore. Said, if you pass through this door, don't come back. That means you are no longer my son. I was there almost paralyzed. I prayed, and I said, Mother, you know how much I love you. And I did everything, but I couldn't. So I have to go, but I love you. Took my bag, crossed that front door, knowing that she meant it. So I was disowned, not legally, but emotionally and in support and everything. I paid a heavy price. But that really helped my faith to be strong. Fortunately, after one year, I decided to go back. And they said, well, I don't know what will happen, but I went back and they have accepted me. And the happy ending, my mother died in the faith. Amen. And my, my father, uh, he was not baptized, but he listened already to the word of God. I would like to find out in heaven if, if, he, if God decides to take him or not. But I'm sure my mother, by the grace of God, I will see her. Amen. A wonderful story. I'm going to steal maybe two minutes. We've got about two minutes to go, but I want you, this is a very familiar phrase. What's this word mean? Is that a one point in time or is that continuous? Don't forget it. The just shall live by his. So is this faith a one point in time or is it continuous? It's continuous. That's what we're saying. Um, so. I'd love to spend some time here educating the mind to exercise faith. By the way, you don't have to cherish doubt. You don't have to think about doubt. You can choose what your mind thinks about. I don't have a lot of time to get into that. But we need to educate and train our mind so that we have an intelligent faith and to train it and educate it to exercise faith uh, and not to cherish uh, doubt and suspicion. Um, so this is some more uh, on continuing and that's, a, that's a, so important, and we've talked about that communion. Uh, this is Charles Spurgeon, and we're going to kind of wind up with this. I love this. He's, he's kind of like a Baptist minister, like I grew up down south with. They were kind of direct sometimes about some of these things. God saves us from living in comfort. God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. That's a pretty important thing. If we're going to finish God's work in this generation, we're going to have to have that attitude. We're going to have to have that attitude. Um, and you, should, you increase your faith by winning souls. And, and I want to tell you, to win souls, you have to love people. That's what my wife, we love these neighbors. Even if they never become uh, Seventh-day Adventist or whatever, 
that's not going to take away our love. You love people because that's what God does. And uh, you minister to people that way. Learn to exercise faith. There it is, increasing. the same thing. Exercise faith in presenting your neighbors where? Before the throne of grace and pleading, that's agonizing faith, with God to touch their hearts. I could tell you stories of how God opened doors I would have had no chance of ever opening. Simply an answer to prayer. Um, For sake of time, let us also pray earnestly, that's that agonizing part, in behalf of those whom we expect to visit. And by living faith, what kind of faith? That's a continuous faith. Bringing them one by one into the presence of God. Uh, if you do that ahead of time, God will take care of opening doors for you. So here's the, what moved the Apostle Paul. But none of these things move me. Dora, do I count my life dear to myself? So that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of grace. So what moves you? That's the, that's the question. So you can have faith. You can have powerful faith. We can move mountains. We can rebuke the winds. We can face anything that Satan and the world throws at us. If we're constantly... In communion with God, that's part of the price. We're willing to be obedient by faith, by His grace. And we're willing to do, surrender whatever Jesus asks us to surrender. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your talent, doesn't matter how good looking you are or how not good looking you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or how little money you have in the bank. If you're willing to pay the price, Jesus will use you to rebuke the wind and move mountains. I stand for the benediction. Heavenly Father, Just thank you for being here. Thank you for hearing and answering prayers. We leave this place. As we leave GYC in a few days. We go home and we face. May we become. Those who are in constant communion. Who are living by faith. Who are exercising faith. Continually. And nurturing it. With humility. And kindness. Thoughtfulness. And then, Heavenly Father, open doors, doors we never believed could be open. Use everyone in this room to your glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.